Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Keen Gamer Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Mosier, but bit of a change up today. So instead of the Dutch digital dreamboat, David Dackhouse joining us, you know, as the second chair here, he was not able to make it. So we have a replacement today and joining us is, to my understanding, Keen Gamers, uh, let's say, resident video game historical scholar to what I remember, Devin Williams. So Devin, you want to tell everyone, kind of introduce yourself a little bit? Hello, and yeah, that would be a very succinct way to describe me. <laughs> I'm very interested in the history of this medium and in all types of retro games, though I'm not opposed to playing more modern stuff either. All right, uh, very nice. So um, kind of, you know, as always, if you're you know an old listener, you know what's going on. If you're a new listener, to give you a little bit of a house cleaning, the sort of intro here. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, the main reason that we're here. We love video games. So what are we playing right now? What are some of the stuff that we're, some of the things we're looking forward to? We have a couple of the biggest gaming news stories to kind of de delve into. And then the main topic of today's episode. So I guess let's go ahead and start off with what we're playing. So Devin, why don't you hit us first? What are you, you know, currently playing right now? Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection. All right, now that is a Sega title if I've ever heard it. There's what, two, four, six words to that. Why don't you go Capcom. ahead and give us... Capcom, that's right. Why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of a breakdown of what this Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection is. So Mega Man, he's been around for a very long time, but Capcom has just thrown him under the bus since the 2010s, and he's not received anything except for compilation releases for the most part. And this is the latest compilation release. It compiles all six Mega Man Battle Network games. Well, technically all ten, but three through six were released in split versions, a la Pokemon. Okay, so what are, what's, I am, so you're talking to someone like me who I have, you know, I remember the old, the kind of original Mega Man games. What are what's specific or different about these battle network games? Like what makes them a unique entity to have their own collection? Well, the first part is that they are completely different genre entirely. <laughs> they are action RPG card battlers instead of platformers. Okay, that's a lot to digest. So a Mega Man action RPG card battler that's stretched across six to ten games depending on your argument of it yeah released <laughs> all throughout the lifespan of the game boy advance so now what is it about this collection that kind of has you engrossed now that you know of everything that there is in the world to play what is it about this collection that's got you locked in i'm i've always been a huge mega man fanboy and one of the things I like about Battle Network specifically is that there's really nothing else like it. Okay, so it even though it's a big uh, sort of change of pace, a change of scenery from what most people think of with the Mega Man game, you're saying that this is an example of a time that like that's good. It's refreshing. It's it's nice to be different. Yes, All right, it's well, a completely nice. different setting, a completely different timeline, and yeah. One of the major features of the collection is that these games have online multiplayer for the very first time. <laughs> oh, I so now I do have to ask: Do you have you jumped into the online multiplayer? A little bit. Is it as crazy and hectic as you know? Uh, when I think online multiplayer, personally, I immediately go to either first-person shooters or uh, fighting games like your Mortal Kombat's, your Street Fighters. And those have a very, very steep learning curve that you can log in on your first, you know, your first time you ever playing online and you are matched up to a pro if you don't have the settings right or you're not in, you know, oh, this pro level player is doing, you know, the untournament style or whatever, the unranked. Is that kind of a situation that you can hit in this Mega Man Battle Network or does it have a way to sort of match you with people um, online, you know, other uh What's what I'm looking for? Opponents who are more sort of matched to your potential play level. 
There is a ranking system. I didn't play around with the multiplayer long enough to check. But yeah, it can get very crazy. All right. Well, so that's definitely something I'm going to have to look into that more myself. And I I am going to ask because I know that you're going to be on another episode. You know, eventually we're going to start working some other people in. Um, I am. You do have homework, Devin. And I, I do want to kind of little report, a little, you know, briefing on this, the online component a little more in depth next time we have you on, if that's all right. I'm definitely going to be playing <laughs> these more. All right. And um, so on that, for things that I'm playing right now, um, I've I've gone back and I've started playing the uh, Dark Pictures Anthology again. Well, not again. So um, for those who don't know, Dark Pictures Anthology is kind of the, I'd say like the sidestep of games for Supermassive. Supermassive is known for Until Dawn and The Quarry, these big, very cinematic games. They're very uh, decision tree based. It's not very, you know, in-depth gameplay itself. It's kind of a walking sim. But then, you know, a moment happens and you choose, you know, option A or B. Any character can die. Every character can live. It's kind of based on the decisions that you make. So Until Dawn and The Quarry were two of, you know, these two bigger games, you know, 10 to 12 hour playthrough, multiple different endings. But Dark Pictures was kind of a fun thing that they did sort of in between these. So it was every year, 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022, they released one of these smaller games that all fit into an anthology, obviously, hence the name. And um, there's there's kind of a behind-the-scenes sort of lore story that pieces them together. But each one can be played standalone. Each one can be played on its own. Um, and those I've been digging back into. They're, they're this nice, healthy mix, at least for me right now. There's not a big learning curve. It's just if you can follow quick-time events and you want to make some decisions, it's kind of like watching a movie that you have just a little bit of say in. And, you know, obviously they're, they're in the horror genre, which is kind of, you know, anyone who listens knows is my favorite genre of game. Uh, so yeah, it's just been kind of a nice little step away from having to learn combos, mechanics and systems and just, nope, I'm going to hang out. I'm going to walk my character over here. I'm going to pick option A and that's it. I'm just going to see what, what happens. I'm going to watch the story play out. Uh, so... That's kind of that, that's mostly what I've been focusing on lately. And I'm I'm debating. Part of me wants to go back and do another play of the quarry, but then part of me wants to finish the Dark Pictures anthology. I'm about halfway through the last, the fourth one, because um, this is kind of a build up. This is there's four in season one, but season two is kind of announced. There's gonna be another four coming out, and um, I'm thinking I don't know if I want to replay the Dark Pictures and try to get some different endings. Or possibly go back and do another run of the quarry. Because the fun thing with that is you can just set character kind of, this one's more emotional, this one's more, you know, confrontational, and then just watch it play out like a movie. So I'm kind of between those right now. Next episode, you'll probably have an update on which way I choose to go. But speaking of, you know, next episode and what's coming down the pipeline, you know, what way we choose to go, games are great. That's why we're here. But aside from what we're playing now, it's also fun to think about what's coming down the pipeline, what's on the calendar. So of everything that we know is coming out in the near future, what are you most looking forward to right now, Devin? I was about to say System Shock, but it's a good thing that I read, looked through one of the earlier podcasts because I found that you already discussed in a previous episode. So I'm instead saying Front Mission 2 Remake. All right, so now I do not have any experience with this. So kind of what's the elevator pitch of Front Mission as a franchise and then two in particular? Front Mission is a big Stompy Mac strategy game franchise from Square Enix that goes as far back as the Super Nintendo era. These games are beloved in Japan, but have never really caught on in the West because localizations were handled very awkwardly and like half the games never saw an official release over in the West. So when you say the localizations kind of had some hiccups to it, um, was it problems with the actual porting and changing process to get it compatible on U.S. systems? 
or was it issues with kind of that the contextual localization that made it sort of not catch on it wasn't as popular in the u.s well the games tackle very complex themes that about war and love that i'm sure are very difficult to localize and the main and the this dates back to the 90s back before rpgs really became mainstream so square enix arbitrarily decided to localize some of them and not all of them okay that's yeah that's definitely an interesting uh sort of uh, cause and effect there but it seems like you know they're starting to pull them over with these remakes yeah so i'm gonna ask um Front Mission 2 was first released on the PlayStation in 1997, and this remake is the first time it's ever seen a Western release of any kind. So with this remake, are, is it kind of a ground-up remake for modern consoles, or are they? is it just kind of the original game being brought up so it's now playable? Or, or, do you get what I'm saying? Uh, is it actually like new textures, new graphics, and all that? Yes, new new visuals, but the gameplay itself is uh, more or less the same, I think. Okay, very nice. So yeah, that, uh, not exactly my style of game, but your your pitch there kind of has me intrigued, especially from the, the history standpoint and kind of how that falls into this whole, you know, Eastern, Western, the movement, the transference of games between them. So definitely something I want to look into a little bit more. Um, and then as for myself, so for games that I'm really looking forward to, um, I know that this one is a ways out. Um, it doesn't have an official release date yet. It's just kind of listed as fall. But uh, this, I've been seeing it pop up quite a bit in conversations. Back to the horror games, Stray Souls really has my attention. Uh, kind of the simplest sort of pitch or explanation that I can give of Stray Souls is that it looks like a slightly more westernized version uh, a, a spiritual successor to Silent Hill. So you're playing as a character who's in this mysterious town, kind of looks like a ghost town. It's abandoned. Weird, scary stuff starts happening. Uh, the story trailer and everything that was released uh, was part of a PlayStation uh, state of play, I believe, a couple months ago. Uh, looks like your character has some connection to the town. Again, very, very strong Silent Hill feel to it. And it just looks like a beautiful, creepy, decrepit time that I, I'm i really looking forward to. A, the first cold day of fall, throwing this game on and just staying up till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and constantly looking over my shoulder to see if there's something hiding back here. I have no experience with Silent Hill, but from the people I know who are fans, they've nothing but positives to say about it. At it's, least for the main numbered entries, the spinoffs are a little iffy from what I hear. That's so, um, how can I put it? So for me as a fan, all of them have uh, merit to them. Obviously, some are better than others, but it's if you look into it, it's kind of like any franchise. Once you start to get past the third or fourth entry, if you try looking at it as everyone should be a masterpiece and then the one after it should be a masterpiece plus, and it should always be growing and be getting more and more perfect, you're going to have a bad time. It doesn't happen. It's not possible. Every one of the Silent Hill games has something just fun and creepy to it. There's merit to each of them, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, it's perfectly okay if you just flat out don't like a game, but if your approach is that it should always be perfecting and fixing and getting better than the previous one, you're going you're gonna to have a bad time with it. That's just the simple fact of it. From what little I know about them, I believe I think they try some very interesting ideas. So yeah, it's definitely something to play someday. Yeah, I would put it, um, especially because we have um, later on this year, I've talk, I talk about Silent Hill. It's either Silent Hill, Resident Evil, or Harry Potter. Every episode, at some point, they get brought up. And Kojima. Um, so I didn't bring this up as my, you know, games we're looking forward to yet, but Silent Hill 2 is arguably sort of, if you took a poll amongst the Silent Hill audience, it's argued as kind of the, the fan favorite. Uh, 
the Silent Hill 2 remake is supposed to be coming out this year too, and it looks chef's kiss beautiful. Um, so now moving into the next part, let's go ahead and talk about some of the biggest news. Uh, one of the beautiful things about this medium is that there's always something going on. And looking at the dock, we have, what is it, six points, but a couple of them are kind of connected. So let's just jump right into the main news that came kind of came about since our last episode, since the last time we talked. Uh, first and foremost, Harry Potter Quidditch game announced. So um, the one complaint I heard about Hogwarts Legacy was that it didn't have Quidditch. So this does not surprise me. Yeah, that's I was in a weird place because I see a lot of people are almost getting angry about it, which, again, I know, shocker, people getting mad on the Internet. But um, a lot of people seem, you know, mad or angry because they think that Quidditch was, quote unquote, supposed to be in Hogwarts Legacy, but then it got pulled. So that way WB can sell a separate game. Listen, I I, would not put it past them. I wouldn't put it past them, but I don't kind of buy into that conspiracy directly. Um, Because if you just look at the style of these games, it's completely different. So it's not like this was made and then pulled out of Hogwarts Legacy. This is a completely separate thing. And it's not like there's a shortage of things to do in Hogwarts Legacy. If you take that game, if you take it as it is right now, on its own, as a single player thing, you do the main story, you do the side missions, you do all the wacky little collectibles and all that. It's easily a 150-hour game. The fact that it didn't then have an additional infinite number of hours that you want to play multiplayer component, like, yeah, I agree. I wouldn't put it past Warner Brothers, but it, it this seems like it's it's primed to be its own thing. Yeah. I, depending on how they handle it. I was more expecting Quidditch to be, like, a major feature in the sequel, but I'm totally fine with this as well. Plus, I mean, it's it's a very difficult thing to kind of pull off, and it would almost have to be a second game inside of Hogwarts Legacy. Because to have that sprawling of a map with that many things going on, and then an entire multiplayer component minigame, it just I could see that being, you know, absolute hell on their servers to keep up with. So I think that Hogwarts Legacy handled it well. They set expectations from the very beginning as you know, you get, what is it, like 20 minutes into the game, you're finally at the school, and the headmaster says, Quidditch is canceled for the year. Boom, done. End of story. Quidditch isn't there. You could be like any other Hogwarts student, be upset about it, but move on with your life. You got classes to go to. You got cats to pet. You got all this stuff to do. Um, but I, I do have a couple hesitations on it. So I guess my 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 main hesitation for this standalone Quidditch game how much is it going to entail? Is it strictly a multiplayer entity? Um, Cause that's been, you know, a very popular thing lately. And sometimes that works. Don't get me wrong. But if it's a multiplayer entity, like strictly multiplayer, then how much is it going to cost? Cause I know that that was a big problem that people had with the evil dead game. When that first released strictly multiplayer, it was like 40 bucks, I think at release once the player base started to dwindle down, okay, well, now you got a $40 game that you can't really do much with. I think if they just treated it as a sports game, as if Quidditch was a real sport, and there was like fanfare when you unlock these you know, legendary Quidditch players to recruit to your team, could be a stellar experience. But we don't know enough. That's all conjecture, speculation, and hope. We don't know enough yet. You know what I mean? Let's just hope it's not as microtransaction stuffed as Madden. Oh, that. Fingers crossed on that one. But now, talking about the Harry Potter universe and the UK in particular, our next kind of big news story we wanted to uh, go into, the UK blocks the Activision Blizzard and Microsoft uh, sort of purchase deal. So, Devin, I know this is one that you wanted to particularly talk about, so why don't you lead us into this? So, yeah, this was... If this deal was allowed to pass, this would have been a pretty seismic shift for the industry. Um, so yeah, it would be, I'm not even going to say would be, because there's still a chance that it's going to. So just because the UK in particular kind of blocked this, it can still be appealed. 
it can still be, you know, repealed, restructured. And it might not have as much impact as it's the UK and both companies involved are in the US. And that's where it kind of gets weird. So for those who haven't seen this story, the UK, um, sort of their trade commission of sorts, kind of blocked this um, acquisition deal on the basis that it would be harmful to the sort of progress and the competitive nature currently existing within the cloud gaming space. So kind of the idea there is that Microsoft already has Game Pass and giving Microsoft all of this extra ammunition of the Call of Duties, the World of Warcraft, so they kind of control these entities that are such major parts of gaming in general, let alone specifically, you know, getting into this cloud gaming space. Because these are online games, they're, you know, that sort of prime target to get those working. So that's sort of the motivating factor, if you will, for a lot of cloud gaming. Their belief is that by Microsoft having control of these or owning them, effectively not even just having control, that it's going to damage the competitive nature, the sort of marketplace competition, and thus inadvertently be anti-consumer. I personally don't know if I buy into that just on the basis that Microsoft is offering extended deals with other companies, with Sony, who's kind of the main one who's throwing up red flags and roadblocks everywhere they can. They're saying, we'll give you a decade where it is contracted. We will make sure that Call of Duty comes to your platforms, that whatever, you know, these games will still come there. I, I just, I don't, I don't see it having the same level of impact that this, this blockade is trying to make it out to be. Kind of what are your, what are your thoughts on it, Devin? It's hard to say. On one hand, Activision is a total dumpster fire of a company and Microsoft probably can't run it any worse than Bobby Kata can. <laughs> but on the other hand, yeah, these deals are a massive incentive. This would be a massive incentive to pick Xbox over PlayStation. I love Bethesda and Microsoft buying them was a was making me seriously consider getting a Series X instead of a PlayStation 5. Which I mean, yeah, that's that's the purpose of buying out these studios. And one thing that I think is kind of, you know, a potentially interesting point is that there are ways around these. There even even if it is, you know, technically blocked, there are sort of other avenues that you can take. One example from years and years ago, this is outside of the gaming space, but um, a French uh, gas company, right? Like oxygen for hospitals, like compressed gases. Air Liquide put in a bid to purchase the company Air Gas. The U.S. tried to block it because those two companies merging into one would give them enough of a sort of control that they would be almost considered a monopoly within the U.S. So... Air Liquide just took over a majority share of Air Gas for the U.S. division, but still runs it as under the two separate names. So they still have the same level of control, influence, and power, but on paper, they're separate. That could be an interesting sort of avenue that this leads to, sort of an unexpected follow-up if Microsoft just ends up having to become a majority holder in Activision Blizzard. So they still technically own it, but then all of these promises to Sony could effectively be null and void because it's not what well, we, Microsoft, promised to keep them on here, but they're not Microsoft. They're still Activision Blizzard. We just own them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is, yeah, this is, we can end up spending an entire episode just talking about everything that's gone on with this and then speculating on things that will come. And every time that we speculate on it, it turns out it turns out to like not necessarily be exactly that because some other out of left field story like this hits up. But I'm sure we're going to be talking about this Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal for at least another six months, if not more. But one thing that is going to be a little bit more imminent than this Microsoft Activision deal 
Armor Core 6. So Armor Core 6, um, for those of you who have been following it or have seen it pop up, I believe it was first announced at the Game Awards, the 2022 Game Awards last December. Um, it's a FromSoft game, but not in what we expect from FromSoft games. I'm just happy that FromSoft is getting to make something that isn't Dark Souls or Souls-like for the first time in a decade. Yeah, so this is, uh, so this, and it's it's weird. It's an interesting choice that they kept the six. So Armor Core uh, is a franchise that started back in, you know, the 90s. It was on the original PlayStation. And then Armor Core 5 came out about a decade ago. So it's 10 years that this has been sitting dormant. And FromSoft has been focusing on, you know, the Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Elden Ring, Sekiro, all that. Now they're just returning to it and they're like, you know what? Nope, we're just going to continue it where it was. It's, it's Armor Core 6. We're not doing a reboot. We're not doing a restart of it. We're just c- continuing with where it's at. So not only has some, you know, gameplay information been shared, but the pre-orders are actively live. So I wanted to make sure that I noted that. So you remember to come back to it. But from the gameplay perspective... What are your thoughts on it, Devin? I I haven't seen the latest trailers past like the announcement one, but yeah, I think it's gonna be pretty grand. So that's yeah, I watched I watched the trailers and I kind of read a write up that I uh, came across of sort of breaking down how how this game plays, which I think is it's smart of FromSoft to get ahead of this. They're laying it out there that this is not a souls born like game this is a separate thing play style is gonna be very different but the one thing they're pushing is so i'm a big fan of mechs love evangelion love some of the old gundam series i'm a sucker for a good mech but in this same in this they're talking about the scope and the scale of everything but everything that they're showing is in mechs it is a grand so it just kind of gets you to that idea of like, if everything is a massive mech, then nothing is massive. Everything just sort of fits its scales together. You know what I mean? So aside from that, I'm sure, you know, we're going to have some more in-depth trailers coming out. And I will say that I am cautiously, I'm hopefully optimistic on this one now. It's kind of where I am, my barometer of interest for it. But the pre-orders themselves are live. so. As you know, every major game now or most minor games that come out, some of the more indie titles even do this, there are many different tiers to it. And this one actually outdoes the Hogwarts Legacy, Collect- uh, Hogwarts Legacy Collector's Edition, the $300 version with the book and the floating wand. So Armored Core 6, go ahead and pre-order it now. There are pre-order bonuses. There's a standard version. There's you know that sort of enhanced version that comes with digital art book, things like that. Then there's a collector's edition that comes with a little statue of a mech from the game. It's just kind of another generic one because, again, uh, your mech is very completely customizable, so it can't be your mech in particular. But then there's a top tier that is above collector's edition version of the game that you can pre-order that comes with, they call it a garage, but it's like a little diorama that your mech statue fits into to make it a whole sort of scene. For $450 US. So not exactly my thing personally, but I'm sure that there are more than enough Armor Core fans out there who have been dying for this, who have been waiting, who have been chopping at the bit, just waiting for a new Armor Core, as well as just you know every studio, especially one with sort of that track record that FromSoft has had the last few years, who people are just like, nope, this is a FromSoft game. I trust it completely. I love it, and I want the statue. <laughs> I have no experience with this franchise, but all the hype makes me want to try again vested, but <laughs> that kind of sucks because all the old games are crazy expensive now. Yeah, this is one it's this is one of those situations that at least for me because it is so old and it's so difficult to kind of get my hands on them. I would I wouldn't have a problem like watching a let's play or something on YouTube just to get an idea, to get a feel for it. And then based on that and then what I see from gameplay trailers of this, kind of deciding whether or not I'm willing to jump in, but treating it as if it's a new franchise for myself. I also wouldn't have been opposed to them doing like a compilation release of the old games. 
Yeah. And that's, an, that's an interesting point. Cause I know one day we're going to do an episode just focusing on, cause I know we talked about games that should be, or we think deserve remakes, but, um, I know we're going to do one eventually just kind of talking about the merit of remakes and reboots and all that. And this is a weird time because games are so hard to get where so many consoles deep and the transfer of them is different. Like PlayStation three games, just the core architecture does not translate well to PlayStation four and five. There's all these weird, you know, the, the software hiccups to it. Um, and just how kind of important these remakes and these ports are. But then also remembering that these it's not as easy as just right click save as PS5. So yeah, that's that's a whole other thing that we can get into. And uh, I know we still have a few more news stories here to hit. So another big one, I know that Devin, you were really excited to talk about this. Unrecord gameplay footage is up and available. Yeah, and this is scary. The I legitimately thought this was full motion video at first. So why don't you go ahead and give the listeners just kind of a a summary, sort of a recap of what Unrecord is. Unrecord is a tactical first person shooter where you viewed from the perspective of a cop's body camera. You play as a cop and do cop things in various urban environments like dilapidated factories and abandoned buildings. And yeah, it's the graphics. They are beyond anything I have ever seen. Yeah. So I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said scary, because it is, it is impressive. It is undoubtedly, it is objectively impressive. It is inspiring and outstanding to see what was created. And this was done in unreal engine five. Um, but it's also, it is a little scary. It's a little scary that this level of realism was able to be created from nothingness. This is computer code. This is people typing on a keyboard and it looks this real. So from a video game enthusiast, a hobby standpoint, you know, it's great. It's fun. Yeah. Throw me in. I want to check this out. But then you step back and you're like, oh, This team used this to make a fun-looking game, but this could easily be used to make a very convincing, you know, video. Um, That was a big thing that was going around, like a fear with uh, deepfake technology. As deepfakes are starting to get better and better, like you could, somebody could theoretically make it look like a world leader is announcing, you know, a nuclear strike against another country and what kind of chaos and panic would that cause? So I think your phrase of scary is definitely one of like top three adjectives that need to be used to describe this. Yeah, I'm sure AI, I just feel sorry for programmers who will actually have the code visuals this good. Um, there's another one coming out. It's it's not quite at this level because nothing is really at this level right now, um, but it's called Paranormal Tales. Um, looks hyper-realistic. Um, but it's a VR game that is done and it's all horror themed and abandoned houses and stuff. Um, and there's also an, another weird part of it, how you, you know, going back to the term scary, it kind of starts to feed into that uncanny valley idea of when something looks so realistic, so close to human, but it's just not. And it, the fact that it's not, that it's just different enough causes a sense of unease. So that's, that's a whole other tangent, but so with all that being said, as scary as it is, is unrecord something that you're interested in or that you just kind of want to admire from afar? I will probably play it eventually, but I don't have a PC powerful enough to run it. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something I want to check out at least for a little bit. Console ports are not off the table, they said, but console ports they'll have to cut down to visuals significantly understandable time will tell if it's a game like 18 or the order 1886 where all where visuals were the only thing the team cared about and gameplay just got tossed at a corner fair enough so now this is a this is this kind of a sad segue but speaking of you know issues weighing the gameplay and visuals 
Star Wars Jedi Survivor is out. It's available. Reviews are live. And there's there's some issues. So before we start getting into talking about the reviews and sort of the response to it, um, have you played the the first the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order? No, but I want to. So um I played it back when it first came out. Um and I had I had a weird experience with it. Um my problem with it, I see the merit, I see what a lot of people like about it, but it just wasn't a game for me. Um each step of it, I was like, okay, this combat feels very, you know, uh Soulsborne-esque, but just not as well. The environmental exploration reminded me a lot of the Tomb Raider reboot trilogy. Just not as well. Like everything was cherry pick from the best games around for that individual facet, but don't do it quite as well. So very much so a jack of all trades, master of none situation. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of it. So Star Wars Jedi Survivor, because I love Star Wars as a franchise. But this game just didn't really you know hit for me. So I was like, okay, let me wait. Let me see what the reviews say. Let me go ahead and, you know, probably give it some time. It'll go on sale. I might check it out then. But then the reviews started to hit. So uh, just kind of a quick recap. I'm not necessarily going to go through the individual numbers of it all um, across every platform. But the game is getting predominantly positive reviews for um, from your, your critics, your, your IGNs, your game spots, you your your websites um i don't know if king gamer has their review posted yet but it should be up soon so currently for the playstation 5 version it's sitting around at 86 on metacritic which you know that's that's a you know great score it's a heavy score the user score on the other hand is sitting at a four it is generally negative and on pc the user score is a 1.4 yeah, so it seems like kind of the main issue that's happening right now is performance-based. I'm not seeing a lot of complaints about the story, but then again, there's a possibility that people can't even get to the story. Um, I was reading over some of these reviews just to kind of get a better grasp of the situation, and it seems like um, it's a lot of graphical issues. Like I said, the performance issues. There's some stuttering People are quoting this as, you know, low frame rates, but it's staying in that 30 to 50 mark, which isn't great for modern consoles, but it's still absolutely playable. It's not a, quote, unplayable thing at 30 FPS. Sorry, personal opinion, but also it is what it is. Um, there's some texture loading issues, some pop-ins, some pop-outs. So it seems like it's it's performance-based. And I guess this isn't too shocking since there was a 128 gigabyte day one download, if I'm if I'm following this correctly. Oh, I did not hear about that. Yeah, so the game itself, and maybe that was a combination of the game as well as the day one download. But I remember talking to a few of my friends who had like pre-ordered it and they pre-ordered it digitally and they were like, you know, fingers crossed, you know, things are great for, you know, pre-orders. Because I, I had to set it. They're like, I have great internet, but if I want to play this when I get home from work, I have to start it at midnight when it becomes available or whatever. Because the the total download was 128 or so gigabytes on PlayStation 5. So, for everyone out there who's trying to jump into Star Wars Jedi Survivor, I feel for you. I'm sorry that the performance issues are happening and that... It's going to take a while to download if you haven't started it yet, but with how kind of pivotal of a gaming franchise this is right now for the whole EA Star Wars deal with Star Wars as a you know franchise being bigger than ever, I have faith that it will get cleaned up. Um, might not be immediately, but this is just kind of it's a it's a it's too big of a thing for them to not fix. Does that make sense? Yeah, this is a big AAA release. They'd be stupid not to fix it. Yeah. They it, were stupid to release it in this state in the first place, but they'd be stupid not to fix it as well. And I think this just kind of goes to the idea of, I get that there's you know shareholders and stakeholders and you know all of these investors that you have to keep happy, 
but it just seems like every year things are getting announced earlier and earlier and earlier. So then when something has to get delayed multiple times, yes, we all say a delayed game can still be great, but a bad game is bad forever, all that. There's at this point, you know, the investors have to start to see these market trends that games are selling. Games are getting great reviews. You Fallout 4, for example, very well loved. It was announced and within four months it was out. It didn't have a multi-year cycle building up to it. I think, in my opinion, the studio's got to start to slow down a little bit. They don't need to announce things two, three, four years in advance. Like, get it done, focus on the game, and that way when you come out and say it's coming out in five months, and it comes out in five months, everyone's ecstatic. You're not having to deal with delays and buggy releases and all that. And potential developments revealing negative hype. Yeah. So looking at the time now, you know, we hit our kind of we hit all the main news stories. Now it's time to go from that that's that's the little teaser. That's the appetizer. We've had the soup, we've had the salad, we've had the appetizer. Now let's get to the entree of this episode. And this episode, we are focusing on IPs that we think would make great video games. So for those who have listened to our past episodes, we tend to do um, Devin is pick three. I've picked three. We're going to kind of round robin. He's going to go. I'm going to go. We're going to talk about what the IP is and why we think it would be suited for a game. So why don't you kick us off, Devin, and hit us with the first one that you think, first IP that you think would make a great game. So this technically has had games already, but unless, but they've been Japanese exclusives on PlayStation portables and <laughs> mobile games, and it's never had a proper console entry. It's Puella Magi Madoka Magica. Okay, now that was a mouthful, and there were a lot of M's there. So why don't you walk me through what what this franchise is? Madoka Magica is, for better or worse, one of the most popular magical girl shows of all time. All right, and so I, I'm, I'm a very on the edge type. Like I'm just, I'm out just outside of the group of anime watchers. You know, I have my my originals that I still go back to. You know, Dragon Ball stuff, the Yu Yu shows, Roni Kenshin. Uh, some modern ones that I love, like I said, Evangelion earlier. Well, it's not modern, but the big uh, return with Netflix and everything. Uh, My Hero Academia. But I'm not as fluent in sort of the anime slang and everything. So what exactly is a magical girl anime? Magical girl anime, it's this one specifically. It's Madoka Kaname and her friends and... There's this little cute cat thing named Kyubei who's the source of all their powers and they got team up and save the world from witches. Okay, so I'm so just so I can put it into context, I'm dating myself here because within the gaming sphere I'm I think I'm considered old now. And please, please in the comment section do not attack me if I have this wrong. I'm just trying to learn. Would Sailor Moon be considered a magical girl anime? Correct. It was oh score. It's I know I know something. It's basically the magical girl anime. Okay, so that was kind of the one that set the set the bar. That's kind of what defined it. Okay, so now with that in mind, I kind of have context to wrap around it. So now, why this magical girl anime in particular? There's no, really nothing like it. It's. It tackles a lot of very complex themes, and there's twists and turns, and it's a very complex show. So on the surface, it kind of looks, you know, a little, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but it sounds like you're saying it looks a little more kind of cutesy. It fits that, you know, that bright, that pastel-y sort of stars and glitter aesthetic while still discussing serious issues. Exactly. Okay, so now if this were, you know, to to be turned into a game, I think a fun way to kind of do this, after we've described what it is, you have a video game studio, Devin. You get approved, you get licensed for this. What kind of game are you making? 
throw Persona and XCOM into a blender and magical girls. So a little Persona, a little XCOM, a whole bunch of glitter, maybe like a like a, a familiar item of some sort, and then boom, that's the game that you're going for. Yep. Okay. That is something that I can I can get behind. I can support that. Uh, so I might have to go ahead and check out this anime at some point this weekend. Um, so now, kind of shifting pace completely here. Uh, the first IP that I picked, and this is going to sound like a kind of kind of like a cop out, but I picked A twenty four Films. A twenty four Films is actually a, a studio. They're mostly known for distribution, and they do some production, but. What sets A24 films apart uh, from most other studios is that they give big budgets to the weirder, the crazier ideas that wouldn't necessarily get a big budget. So it's kind of indie art movies with a Hollywood budget. And the reason that I've said A24 films as a whole, instead of just you know picking a single movie, is because A, I love most of them anyway. And like I said, it's a cop out and I'm the host. So I'm going to find ways to circumnavigate my own rules. And the be... only one of theirs I've seen is the witch, but that was great. Oh, the witch is great. It's midsummer is tied for favorite movie of all time for me. I've probably watched it at least twice a year. Um, and that's the director's cut, like three hour version. I have a problem. I'm fully aware, but I just love it so much. Um, but the reason that I picked A24 films like as a whole is because I think that doing kind of like a there's a way and a, a good example to give is Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is now the most awarded movie in history. It outdid Return of the King uh, after the Oscars. Because that jumps between different dimensions while still telling this great, riveting, you know, powerful, emotional story. I think it'd be cool to pull all of A24 film stuff together and they all have a unique visual and a unique style and story. So you're one character that's kind of traversing, you're jumping between all of these different worlds. So kind of like Ratchet and Clank uh, Rift Apart. Or Kingdom Hearts. No, I'm not mentioning Kingdom Hearts because that is far too convoluted and it's confusing, but it's Disney, but it makes no sense. And that's a whole other thing. This still sounds like A24 Kingdom Hearts to me, which is still something I'd absolutely be down for. Okay, yeah, because, all right, so if we're taking the Kingdom Hearts aspect, that means that you get to kind of, like, pick uh, people, kind of, like, developing a team around you. So if I got a game where I could, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, like, absolutely, like, I have Danny, uh, Florence Pugh's character from Midsummer, but I also have like uh, Andrew Garfield's character from under the silver lake. Who's just like this crazy conspiracy theorist and just kind of getting to pick them together and going through this world all with sort of the everything everywhere, all at once framework around it to explain why and how we're jumping. That's it. You, you lose me. Cause I would not stop playing that. I would play that game to completion. And then I would binge watch all of the movies associated. And then I'd probably play the game again. So as much as I want it, I hope it doesn't exist because there goes my life as, as a whole. <laughs> so speaking of things that have the potential of completely overtaking my life, something I know a lot of us have been overtaken by in some way or another looks to be your next pick here. So why don't you tell us what your second pick for an IP for a video game is, Devin? I had I had trouble picking three that I would be absolutely down for there i had our in mind but there was always some sort of caveat i had the tick but it might not be popular enough i had cowboy bebop but they could just localize the playstation 2 game and that would be perfectly fine i ultimately i ultimately decided to go with with something that I think could be a reasonably likely pick, and that is a 2D beat-em-up based on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Okay, so a 2D beat I was down for this when I when I saw that you put He-Man, and I also need to point out, because you didn't specify it, you have, in parentheses, and She-Ra and the Princesses of Power as well. 
So now I'm assuming that this is kind of a mashup of all of it. So now walk me through this 2D beat-em-up. Are you playing as one character? Is it co-op? What's going on here? I noticed that Shredder's Revenge just came out and was obscenely popular. That's another thing I need to play. So just make it like that. All right, so you want... I saw the uh, Toxic Crusaders game come out and... He-Man is a game that deserves a 2D beat-em-up revival infinitely more than that piece of drivel. <laughs> Fair I'm, I'm getting some strong feelings from you on this one. So, yeah, the idea of a 2D He-Man beat-em-up is... You, you've already got me sold. You got my money for it. Um, so now moving on, my second one that I picked. This is a weird one. So I, I kind of put my picks together last weekend, you know, in preparation for the episode. Um, and then some news happened. So for those of you who don't know, um, former Cincinnati mayor and iconic daytime television host Jerry Springer uh, passed away earlier this week at the age of 79. The uh, Jerry Springer show was kind of what he's most known for. It was both wildly popular and surrounded in a lot of controversy um, through the 90s, you know, through most of the 2000s. Like, I think it ended just a year or two ago. Um, but the idea was it was a talk show kind of following in the same vein of that daytime talk show like Oprah or the Oprah Winfrey show, the Ricky Lake show. But he focused on sort of um, more fringe members of society. So it was a little bit of your more shocking members. It was your crazier stories. Um, for lack of a better word, it's kind of your more traditionally trashy, in air quotes, stories. And that's what kind of got a lot of controversy around it. Is because he was putting these people who are, these are real people. These are, you know, people that exist. These are aspects of society that exists, but they were outside of the norm. And it seemed a lot of people claim that it was exploitative, um, but it was just kind of, you know, it was giving a voice to a different group. So, you know, rest in peace, Jerry Springer. Um, but then, so even before that happened, I was just trying to think of weird things that I would like to see a game out of. And, the idea just, it still tickles me now of almost like a dark pictures anthology style game, how I described earlier of, you know, there's minimal gameplay. You're just kind of walking around, you're making dialogue choices, but you're playing as the titular host, Jerry Springer. And in the show or in the game, you're doing episodes of the show. And then after the show's done recording, you're dealing with both the controversy of, you know, people boycotting and you're getting sent threats and things like that. But then there's like a horror twist that you start to develop a stalker who's involved in the show somehow. And it's you as Jerry Springer are having to unravel the mystery of a Jerry Springer show stalker. <laughs> so you go through it in my head, you're playing the game and you come out and you're making the dialogue choices to do the interviews and it's, you know, whatever the episode of that day is something about like my boyfriend cheated on me in exchange for cigarettes or something. My daddy is a space alien. Yes. You could start to build up to things like that, but like you do an episode of the show and the dialogue choices impact your ratings and it impacts. So there'd be like three systems that you have to balance. You need high ratings. But you have to balance the controversy because if that gets too high, the protesters will start to turn violent. But you also have to appease this stalker who runs the risk of becoming threatening. So you got to manage all of those and then it just slowly devolves into. So after the show in game is done, you then live life as Jerry Springer for a level as you're circumnavigating the, the picketers and the boycotters and, you know, having subpoenas filed against you for it indecency a televised indecency and then dealing with this weird stalker it i think it would be a great time i think <laughs> I so too so a jerry springer supermassive style stalker game is my second choice yeah i was curious when i saw on the sheet what the hell you had in mind and i think that is both fitting for the ip and actually sounds like a decent idea <laughs> so now with that i will get these giggles out of my system and let's go we are at 
so before we get into our final or, you know, our final choice for this main one, um, did you have any honorable mentions that almost made it, but you know, one or two that didn't quite crack that top three for you? I mentioned a few of them before. Cowboy Bebop was something I was really tempted to have, but they already had a, a PlayStation 2 game released in 2006 that was really true to the show, even if it wasn't the best game from what I hear. And yeah, I think just localizing that would be enough to give the series a proper release, a proper video game tribute in the West. All right. And then so hit us with your drum roll, please. Your final top IP that you think would make a great game. It, it is easily the least popular of anything I mentioned, and the one that will make you go the most, what the hell is this? It is, I hate Fairyland. So, I, I have experience with this, but why don't you walk the listeners through what I hate Fairyland is. It is a comic book series from Image Comics about a young girl named Gertrude. In actuality, she's a bitter, misanthropic woman in a child's body. She has been isekai'd into Fairyland, a world of fairies and magic and cuteness, and is trying to find her way home. And she carves a path of death and destruction through Fairyland along the way. So, that sounds phenomenal. It is. What type of... What type of game would you make with this? The main game I had, I made a comparison to would be Conker's Bad Fur Day. Okay, yeah. So I I get it, but why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners, because that, that is a slightly older game. Go ahead and give us just like a quick rundown of what Conker's Bad Fur Day is. So back when Rare used to make actual video games, they made a lot of cutesy 3D platformers. And Conker was, used to be one itself, but it had a radical shift late in development and became crass and full of guns and sex and violent, crazy humor. Yeah, so um, if you if for people who haven't played Conker's Bad Fur Day, one thing that you might recognize because it shows up on a lot of lists, it's been memed a lot. One of the bosses that you face is called the Mighty Pooh, and it is exactly what it sounds like. And he sings and opera at you. He sings opera, and I believe you have to fight him by throwing toilet paper at him. Correct. Yeah. So, if that contextualizes Conker's Bad Fur Day for you. Yeah, this would be a violent, gross, disgusting 3D platformer, but with lots of character action game elements as well. So, I'm noticing, because David always calls me out for having patterns, I'm noticing a pattern with you. You want things that look cute on the surface, but then get real dark and weird. <laughs> I totally didn't notice that at first, but yeah, I guess that would be a fitting comparison. So then I have to ask, quick side tangent here, have you played Doki Doki Literature Club? I have not. I know of it, though. I Whatever you have planned for tomorrow, cancel it and play Doki Doki Literature Club. Um, all right, so then it's a, I, I love that pick. Um, I personally love the comic book, and thinking of it in that style of game is just phenomenal to me. Um, so a couple of honorable mentions that I was kind of I was, I was battling with, but just didn't quite cut it for me um, because I think that there are things similar. There's at least things that can kind of scratch that itch. Uh, again, kind of in that same vein of you know, the A24 films encompassing a whole thing. Um, I was just thinking about the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, there's been this huge uh, resurgence lately in H.P. Lovecraft, the cosmic horror, because I think there's a lot of existentialism going on in the modern society right now. Um, but I would love to see Edgar Allan Poe kind of get a little bit more uh, due with that. Um, I think, you know, he has stuff. And I know there are things that, are, you know, kind of cherry pick some of his works. 
but he definitely has that more grounded, that more personal. There's there are supernatural elements, but that creepier aspect to it. And I think that you know, a game kind of a, a mystery based off of his work could be phenomenal. So he was sort of the main, the work side of Gallon Poe was sort of the main honorable mention that just didn't quite crack it for me. And one thing I'm noticing with you is that you really seem to like horror games. Oh yeah, I am. Science and horror are abs- science, horror, Taylor Swift. Those are like my three biggest things. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Oh, you didn't. Uh, that's in my bio. If you look at my bio on my articles on Keen Gamer, uh, yeah, science, horror, fantasy, and Taylor Swift. I'm a massive Swifty. I have been since her first album. And as of the time that we are recording this, I am seeing her live in two weeks. Awesome. Good so, for you. Live your best and, life. And I, I, I will say, I thought about how could I put a Taylor Swift game on here? But then I just realized it would be a cutesy version or like not cutesy, but like a less adult rated version of Lollipop Chainsaw. So I was like, all right, let's just let's just let that one exist. But now stop and think about Lollipop Chainsaw as a rhythm game to the music of Taylor Swift. (laughs) And this, this right here, this episode of this podcast is why whatever I do in my life, no studio is ever going to give me money to make a game. Exactly. So let's just keep getting weird with it. My final pick, sort of the top thing that I would love to see as a video game, Guar. So do you do you know anything about Guar, Devin? All I know about Guar is that Beavis and Butthead love it. <laughs> so Guar is a band uh started out of Virginia in the late 80s. Their music is okay. Like I enjoy their music separately. They're a metal band, but they're mostly known for their display, their pageantry, and their live performances. One of you know, the best live shows I've ever seen. And they have like absurd looking costumes. Yeah. So all of their, all of the band members perform in these giant full body latex and latex foam pieces. They're very monstrous, very grotesque. And they, they do a full show. And part of it is also like getting messy. So during the live performances, you know, it'll, they'll have a battle Royale thing going on where, a uh, you know prosthetic person comes out or it's a person in a costume and they get decapitated and it's just spraying gallons of fake blood all over the audience and then a monster gets a tentacle cut off and you if you are within 50 feet 50 to 100 I'd say 100 to 150 feet of the stage you're leaving just covered in fake blood and fake slime and it's a gross fun time so, like, an adult version of the Nickelodeon Choice Awards Slimer. Kind of. Kind of. But but it does it does follow a story, and there's a lot more disembodiment involved. Um, but with that, so part of, part of the fun, the, the backstory, the sort of lore of Guar, is that it started off as a um, science fiction. It was going to be an independent science fiction film called Scum Dogs from Outer Space. Then the people making the movie started playing music together and hanging out. Then they put, they took their costumes and their characters and started using them in the live performance. So there already is a backstory about how these characters existed in this out of this, you know, distant planet and they travel around being scumbags and fighting and destroying monsters and all this stuff. And it's, Again, just a big old grotesque fun time that just poses itself perfectly with that backstory to just a raunchy, gross, but high quality. Uh, the, the way that I say it is if think of like Dead Space, but as you're fighting the monsters, you yourself look as gross as the monsters. <laughs> and then there's a lot of adult humor. And instead of like, creepy techno music playing not techno but like that synth music playing you get into a fight and it's just this crass metal music starts kicking in so yeah just to recap for everyone 
for myself, my three IPs that I would love to see, you know, I think would make great video games. Honorable mention was the works of Edgar Allan Poe. I'll throw honorable mention in there as Taylor Swift, because now that I talked it out more, I think it would be fun. And then my main three that cut the list were A24 Films, Jerry Springer, and Guar. And Devin, what's your recap? My honorable mention was Cowboy Bebop, and the three IPs I wanted to see were Puella Magi Madoka Magica, He-Man, and the Masters of the Universe, and I Hate Fairyland. So with that, you know, I, th- I think we've had a great time kind of discussing these and kind of going into sort of our dream world of weird video game adaptations of things. But on that, it looks like we're starting to hit about that time. So Devin, before we sign off, is there anything that you want to plug? Any Anything that you just published? Anything you have coming out soon? I just published Battle Network Legacy Collection Review not too long ago. Check a look at that. I've had a lot to say about those. It's a series that's very near and dear to me as a child. All right. And uh, for myself, yeah, I'm still kind of working on I'm trying to trying to fine tune getting back into this, the science behind the fiction. That's um, I only have one article out from a few months ago and I'm trying to kind of get it going as a series so that, you know, I should have another one of those up soon. And hopefully if enough people like it, I can kind of start doing more of those. So with that, this has been uh, Devin joining us today with David's absence. I've been your host, Alex Mosher. And uh, until we meet again, keep on gaming. Bye-bye.